0: We're going to pick up where we left off last time, and I'll pick off, I'll I'll pick up with one question to you, and I'll ask for a few different volunteers for this question. A few different volunteers, okay? A few different volunteers here. Here's the question, and it won't show up on what we're going to be talking about here. Are you ready? Very, very quickly into the book, we were introduced to. The character that we come to call Christian, who will be on his pilgrimage from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Now I need a couple volunteers on this. How is Christian described? Just give me one element of that. I'll need mean, maybe four or five people. One element of the description. What's one element? He's a husband. He's a what? Husband. A husband. Alright, that's a good one. Very good. Over. Very good. All right. I wouldn't have thought of that one. Very good, John. Dedicated to his mission. Dedicated to his mission. Do we? Do we? I, I don't know how clearly we see that at the very beginning. I'm, I'm looking more for a physical description here now. Okay. He's traveling. Traveling. All right. Like Burden. Burden. How can you tell he was burdened? He had a big pack, heavy. Burden on his back, yes, good. Nick? Mission. Mission, journey, okay. Okay. He was torn, he he wanted his wife and children. Okay, this, this is true. Susan? He wore rags. He wore rags, that's one of the ones that was looking for. Clothes and rags, <laughs> <laughs> big heavy burden on his back. His face was away from his city. He was looking in the opposite direction. The city was behind his back. Reading a book. Reading a book. Reading a book. And that book in the, in the picture that we used last time looks very much like an open Bible, doesn't it? The other thing is this. No name was given for him at that point, was it? And we discovered it last week. We, we discovered a couple things about it, and I would love to have held one of those things in suspense for quite a while longer. But we're told later on in the story, which we haven't come to yet, that his name at that point was actually graceless. That's the way Bunyan refers to him, someone who was without grace. But very soon he becomes, he he takes the name, he is given the name Christian. Listen, listen to this. He is given the name Christian before he even was a Christian, true? True. that's just the way it occurred in the story I'm not sure I would have done it that way but anyhow, who am I to second guess Uh, the author, John Bunyan but he leaves his wife and family and he begins this journey who has told him where to go? evangelist where did evangelist tell him to go? to the wicked gate. He said, can you see in the distance the wicked gate? And Christian couldn't make it out. But he said, do you see a bright light, a shining light? Head for that light. You know, one of the, and I didn't have room to take much extra on this trip because I was taking some things for one of the workshops I was doing. But I did take this book along with me, the pictures from Pilgrim's Progress and uh, the author of this is C.H. Spurgeon, the greatest lover of Pilgrim's Progress ever, I think. And in one of the chapters that I was reading in there, Spurgeon was saying he actually had a point of disagreement with Bunyan. And it was over uh, the part that Evangelist played at that point. I thought it was very interesting. I think we need to to start hot-footing here. And you've been through some of these things before. This sheet kind of takes things up, looking at obstinate and pliable, and we have looked at several of these things in the latter part of the last class. So let me give them to you in your notes here. Two neighbors who were resolved to fetch him back by force. They went after him, and they were going to physically bring him back, if it was all possible. The man, and that is the way Christian is referred to, until... In conversation, we read that he's he's called Christian. The man's first response to them was, come along with me. Go along with me. Obstinate Obstinate represents someone who is stubborn and unchanging. Stubborn and unchanging. Friends and comfort are more important to him than leaving the city of destruction. What was his opinion of Christian's book, the book that Christian put such great stock in? In few words, it was this. Away with your book. Away with your book. Get rid of your book. He had no regard for it whatsoever. Then the second of those characters. Pliable. Pliable. Pliable represents someone who is inclined to be of the same opinion, to be of the same opinion as whoever he is with. Can you kind of think of a an illustration of this from the animal world? How about a chameleon? That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah. A chameleon. He's inclined to be of the same opinion as whoever he is with. He is now inclined to cast in his lot with Christian. <laughs> now, I, I, I just read this again this morning, and I was intending to read this to you. I think, I think maybe I will anyhow. I think it may be our time when I permit this, but as as christian and pliable are walking along listen to these things that are, are are the kind of things that caused pliable to want to go along to christian uh, pliable and you think that the words of your book are certainly true christian yes verily for it was made by him who cannot lie pliable well said what things are they christian there is an endless kingdom to be inhabited, an everlasting life to be given us, that we may inhabit that kingdom forever. Pliable. Well said. And what else? Christian, there are crowns of glory to be given us, and the garments that will make us shine like the sun in the firmament of heaven. Pliable. This is very pleasant. And what else? Christian, there shall be no more crying nor sorrow. For he that is owner of the place will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Pliable. And and what company shall we have there? Christian. There we shall be with seraphims and cherubims, creatures that will dazzle your eyes to look on them. There also you shall meet with thousands and ten thousands that have gone before us to that place. None of them are hurtful, but loving and holy everyone walking in the sight of God and standing in His presence with acceptance forever. In a word, there we shall see the elders with their golden crowns. There we shall see the holy virgins with their golden harps. There we shall see men that by the world were cut in pieces, burnt in flames, eaten of beasts, drowned in the seas for the love that they bear to the Lord of that place. All well and clothed with immortality as with a garment, Pliable. The hearing of this is enough to ravish one's heart, but are these things to be enjoyed? How shall we get to to be sharers thereof? So, Pliable very much is caught up with these things. Wow, that's what I want, and I'm going to go along with all this. Uh, when When he asked Christian, the words of his book were certainly true. Christian said, yes, verily, for he who made... Uh, for it was made by Him who cannot lie. We come to this crucial point when Pliable wants to go faster. Christian says he cannot because of his burden. He cannot because of his burden. Apparently, Pliable has no burden of his own. Now, now, do not misunderstand this. It would be horrible. To misunderstand this and think when Bunyan tells us in the course of the story, in the course of his dream, that pliable had no burden. It'd be horrible to conclude from that, wouldn't it? That pliable had no burden because he had no sin? No, that's not the reason. But sin is no big deal to him. Sin's not a problem to him. That that's that's the thing. So I think we need to go on to another slide here. Uh-oh. Uh Uh-oh. Now, let me just finish that paragraph here. That is, no consciousness of his own sinfulness. He had no burden. That is, no consciousness of his own sinfulness, and that he was in danger of God's judgment. As they walked together, they, being heedless, did both fall Suddenly, into a bog, a swampy place. Now, from what I've read, there actually was a swampy place like this, not far from the city where Bunyan actually lived. And what was the name of that city? Bedford, Bedford, where the jail was, across the bridge. There was a bog not far away, so he probably utilized that here. But we are told that they both did fall suddenly into a bug which is named the. Well, let me just stop on this and I'll take Jerry's name off of the board so this won't confuse me in a moment. You guys, this I found to be somewhat amazing. Words that end in O U G H. Okay? other than the word we're talking about right here. Do you know, you'll have to listen to me carefully, I didn't give you this, any place to write this in your notes. Listen carefully. There are six pronunciations for that O-U-G-H at the end of words. Six. Listen. Cough. Tough. You might say, they're the same, aren't they? No, they're not. Cough. Tough. Bow. Bow. B-O-U-G-H. Through. Though. And you ready for the last one? Hiccough, which is a kind of a British spelling for hiccup Six different words, six different pronunciations. So, how do we pronounce it right here for this bog that they fell into? I became... Convinced, even though in back somewhere in my years I heard a contrary conclusion to this, Um, the word S L O U G H, when used for a snake shedding its skin, he sloughs off his skin. Sloughs off. So it rhymes with the word enough or cough. But, second of all, S L O U G H, a place full of soft, deep mud. Deep, hopeless depiction, dejection, excuse me, and it rhymes with the word plow. Now, how would we spell the word plow? Very commonly we spell it P L O W. But plow is spelled P L O U G H also. And snow plow, of course, and so on. So, anyhow, some people, and I think I even heard somebody in here say it, the slough of despond. That's legit. That's legit. I've kind of concluded that I'm going to call it the slough of despond. Slough rhyming with plow. But, you know, no quibbling, no rumbling up one page and throwing them across the room or anything. They fall into this swampy place, into this bog, the slough of despond. Imagine yourself <clears throat> to be mired and sinking in such a swamp, what does this place represent? It is the descent whither the scum and filth, the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run and therefore it is called the Slough of despond. For still, as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there ariseth in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them together, was all them get together and settle in this place now that description that description uh, that description actually comes from the words of the next character we're going to meet here and his name is help so you can write that in the little parenthesis in bracket these are the words of help help speaks these words describing that place Pliable, who had attached himself to Christian for all the happiness that he had been told about at this first difficulty, struggles a bit, but makes it out of the slough and returns home. He doesn't have too much trouble getting out. Then he gets out on the side that's closest to his home to make his trip back there. To finish that out here, they, when he finally returns home, they called him a wise man, first of all. A wise man for quitting his following of Christian. Then, they changed their opinion a little bit, call him a fool. And then, mocked his cowardliness. And then in the course of that, they deride Christian as well. I didn't give you a blank for that one. <clears throat> the Slough of Despond. Now, you, you know what? I brought my bigger notebook here from when I taught the course some years ago. The Slough of Despond. Listen to these names. Martin Luther. John Bunyan. C.H. Spurgeon. George Whitfield. William Cowper, Cooper is the way it should be pronounced, and most people pronounce it, Calper, Cowper, C O W P E R, William Cooper, the M writer, all these suffered fits of despondency. Did you hear Sargent's name on that mm-hmm. list? When I was reading these chapters uh, on the flight up, and I couldn't read them in the book on the flight back for a couple reasons. Number one, it was all dark in the plane, and, and, plain, and I, I just didn't have a situation where I could you down. But I had also come to use the book to put my needs in one. I found needs <laughs> on box, so I couldn't read it. But in what I did read, Spurgeon says specifically. I had never read this before. I don't remember reading it before. Spurgeon says he spent five years in the slough of this book. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is before Christians are Christian, So that would be something that these guys these names, these very, very significant names, struggled with before they came to know Christ. Now you might say, did they ever struggle with stuff like that afterwards? Well, you know they did. We're going to come to a place where Christian and his companion find themselves uh, in the territory, of, territory of giant despair in Downing Castle. And I've spent time there. <laughs> Have you guys spent time there? Yeah, yeah. I know that. So, so anyhow. Help, help. First observation. As Christian could not get out because of the burden, a man came to him. Now the bottom of your page says because of his burden, Christian could not get out, but this man... This man drew him out by the hand and then set him on solid ground. Did Christian cry out for help to come? That's not written in the story. He didn't. Help came. Help came. And I just kind of asked you the question on the slide here. I didn't include it in our notes here. Has anyone ever given you a helping hand? I mean, you know, this is an allegory, but... Can there be any question what help means? Somebody who is helpful. Spurgeon has actually a couple chapters in that book about helps and how to how to be a helper in those specific informations for somebody who needs the help. This is an interesting point now. <clears throat> when Christian asks him why such a swamp has not been mended so that it will not hinder travelers, help tells him of the nature of the swamp and the existence of steps, which represent good and substantial steps placed at the direction of the lawgiver. And who could the lawgiver be but God? Now, on the screen, when Christian asks why such a swamp as this has not been mended so they will not enter travelers, help tells them of the nature of the swamp and the existence of the steps. I, I don't want to put anything uh, ahead or whatever, but if we should want to go on and study the second part of Pilgrim's progress, and that is Christiana's journey, when they come to this point in the journey, they don't have the problem with Christian that's an interesting point, and we'll, we'll see that if we choose to go in that direction. There were steps there. As Spurgeon, in writing about them, uh, kind of describes them as the, you know, the, the great promises of God's word. Is it possible to neglect the promises of God's word? Well, obviously it is. When you do, what happens? Well, again, we're, we're, we 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 can't confuse things here. We're talking about Christian before he became a Christian. But if we fail to see those things, you know, there is a slough, a slough of despond. Very interestingly, as help continues to talk to him about these things, he says, "Men, through the through the dizziness of their heads." That's the word that he uses. The dizziness. Of their heads, step besides. That is, they they travel other than where the steps are, through the dizziness of their heads, and then they are bemired to purpose. That is, they're bemired, really stuck in the mire, and then they are, notwithstanding the steps that are there. The ground is good if we follow the steps that have been provided. You know, there's no way of avoiding this place on the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. The slough is there. The bog is there. How will one get through it? That's the question. And everybody doesn't get through it the same way, even as when you come to virtually the end of the journey and they have to cross the river of death. Everybody doesn't go through the river of death the same way. Some cross the river of death, virtually dry-shod, hardly getting their feet wet. Whereas others, interestingly, like Christian himself, is going to all but drown in that. He won't drown. Well, where do we come now? Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Now, I didn't bring the storybook, the, the storybook to accompany the Revelation Media series. Some of you may be watching the segments of that that are becoming available to watch online right now. But I have the, we have the DVD of it, and we went to it when it was in the theater and all. Worley Wiseman is the wackiest looking individual that, that I think they depicted. But as Christian continues on, crossing a field, By chance, he crossed paths with this character. Now, here's the way Mr. Worldly Wiseman is depicted in one one artist's depiction of these things. Here's Christian, obviously, with socks falling down, heavy burden on his back. You can see his Bible still. And here's this guy dressed in the greatest finery you could imagine. And he's going to be offering some really, really good advice. But you know what? advice that's going to take Christian off of the path. That's crucial. Now, on the second page, I thought it would be a good point for us to stop here briefly. And there's a whole page here. But I want to go through this page fairly quickly here. So stick with me, guys. Yes? So when I look at how Christian carries his his book, with the Bible, that if he didn't need it, he'd be carrying it in that backpack or like mm-hmm. his thing in the back. Mm-hmm. He's carrying it dear to him in the front. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks loud, too, that he needs this all the time. He, he carries it by his chest versus mm-hmm. in his backpack with everything else. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, I think mm-hmm. a very good point. So. Mr. Worldly Wiseman, let's let's give some quick attention to this sheet, and there might even be a few things on the sheet that we saw not many weeks ago when we were doing our Proverbs lessons, but here we go. I'm going to propose that we get to the bottom of this sheet in five minutes. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 there we go. The book of Proverbs is not a portrait album or a book of manners. It offers a key to life. The samples of behavior which it holds up to view are all assessed by one criterion, which could be summed up in the question, is this wisdom or folly? Wisdom, as taught here, is God-centered. God-centered. That is the wisdom that's taught in Proverbs. That's what we mean by that is taught here. It's God-centered. And even when it is most down-to-earth, it consists in the shrewd and sound handling of one's affairs in God's world in submission to His will. That's Dirk Kidner's description. I think a very good, simple description. So what is meant by the term wisdom? Simply defined, wisdom is being skillful and successful in the art of living. Wisdom is more than the accumulation of Bible facts. It includes the ability to compare one's life and priorities with Scripture. Wisdom is as intensely practical, not theoretical. J. I. Packer said, In scripture, wisdom is a moral as well as an intellectual quality, more than mere intelligence or knowledge. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. Spurgeon said, wisdom is the art of rightly using what we know. Would you believe we're about halfway through the sheet? About two minutes down. The two kinds of wisdom, and at this point, I want you to open your Bible with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Very, very significant point here. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, the latter part of the chapter, beginning with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly some observations about this great passage of Scripture. First, first arrowhead. Wisdom which is not, or wisdom falsely so-called. And I think, don't you agree with me? That's what we're going to see in this character that now Christian meets. He's called Mr. Worldly, wise man. This is wisdom falsely so-called. In this passage in James, the three characteristics of this this kind of wisdom. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. That's the way James describes it. This is God's description of this false kind of wisdom. Its manifestations? Jealousy and selfish ambition. But in contrast to that is the wisdom that is from above as James describes it. That is, what is true wisdom? There are seven characteristics that James uses. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. Let me read all seven of them once again from James. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. What a contrast between the wisdom which is not, or wisdom falsely so called, And the wisdom that is from above. Bottom of the page, the embodiment of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1:30, Jesus is called wisdom from God. When he taught in his hometown synagogue, that's the synagogue in Nazareth, his neighbors were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom? Where did this man get this wisdom? That's in Matthew 13, 54. Solomon had been the wisest man in history. But when the Pharisees tested Jesus and he reminded them that the Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, she was so eager to learn, Jesus said to them, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. They didn't have to travel any distance at all. Wisdom incarnate was standing right there before them. You can write at the bottom of the page, and I'll just let you write this reference, and then we'll move on without lingering. See also Colossians 2, verses Two and three. But let's go back into our notes here. Mr. Worldly Wise Man. So by chance, as mister Bunyan writes, by chance mm, his paths crossed with this character. He is from the town of Carnal Policy. That's the that's the hometown of Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He is from the town of carnal policy and was against any kind of religion that would interfere with a man's getting ahead in this world. Or trouble his mind over sin. or And ruin his pleasure in satisfying his fleshly appetites. That whole sentence reads, and it comes from Bradley's book, Mr. Worley Wiseman was against any kind of religion that would interfere with a man's getting ahead in this world, or trouble his mind over sin, and ruin his pleasure in satisfying his fleshly appetites. <laughs> he asks Christian about his wife and children. He asks Christian about his wife and children and then offers counsel to get rid of his burden and enjoy his family. He mocks the counsel of evangelists and mocks those who read the book as weak men. He directs Christian on how to obtain his desires without the dangers. How to obtain his, obtain his desires without the dangers. Now, How's he going to do this? By going to yonder village, named morality? Where lives a judicious man named legality? Now, there's one individual's depiction of this. I have to say, in that uh, Revelation Media cartoon of things, when uh, When Christian follows the advice of Mr. Worldly Wiseman here, I like the way they depicted it. I can see the mountain about to fall on him and all that kind of stuff. But anyhow, so Christian turns out of the way. He turns out of his way to go there for help. To go to the village named Morality, where lived Legality, and we'll also find Civility also. Everybody with me? Everybody up to date here so far? Now, I'll I tell you what. Uh, this, <laughs> left, if you will, this morning, knowing that we would come to this point, th- this was going through my mind a whole lot especially as I showered, Uh, the law of God, the law of God, and a lot was going through my mind with respect to the law of God in several different aspects, several different aspects, which I think are going to be very, very helpful here, but let's look at a little bit of this, and then I'll maybe help you through another sheet here rather hastily typed out this morning. Legality and civility. Christian quaked with fear and felt sorry for following his advice. Let's fill out this little paragraph here. On the way to Mr. Legality's house was a very high hill with a dangerous overhang. Christian feared that it would fall on his head. And in addition, his burden seemed heavier. From the hill came flashes of fire. Wow, that's a pretty threatening place. I don't know if you guys can make it out. Here's two fingers down at the bottom. So small. Mr. Wiseman said, I'll, I'll give you what you're looking for, and you won't have to worry about all the trials and difficulties. You'll get your desires. Boy, that's a pretty, pretty threatening-looking place. And this, this author tried to yeah. we'll put the cracks here and everything, and a dangerous overhang right here. What, What's the name of these places again? Morality, the village of morality. Where lives a judicious man named Legality, and also civility comes into the picture here. You, you know what all this is going to represent now? All this is going to represent, you know, Christian, you, you can follow this path toward the light, and you've already had some difficulties. You fell into the slough of despond and needed help to get out of there. There's going to be more problems along this road. Here's a better way. Here's a better way. Morality, legality, civility. How many times do we hear when thus and such an individual dies, well, he was a good person? When they had absolutely no relationship with her, he was a good person. He was civil. He was moral. And people think that, if you know, just try your best to be good, and you'll be all right. Who needs this religion stuff? And, and I'll tell you what, a lot of stuff was going through my mind at this point, but let's, let's fill in a little bit more, and then maybe we can tackle the Law of God sheet here. Evangelist. Evangelist appears once again. As Christian quaked with fear and felt sorry that he had foolishly followed the advice of Mr. Worldly Wise Man, Evangelist came to meet him and said, What are you doing here, Christian? I don't know about you, but you know what comes to my mind when I hear the words of Evangelist here? What? What doest thou here Christian what are you doing here Christian? I-, I can hear the Lord saying to Elijah as Elijah ran from before Jezebel who had threatened him you know the Lord comes to him and says what doest thou here Elijah oh, what are you doing here? well next he warns Christian of three specific errors, to avoid, number one, his turning of you out of the way. The worldly wise man turned Christian out of the way that was the right way to follow. Second, his laboring to make the cross odious. I think if we could maybe change the word there, you know, from odious to make the cross unnecessary. You know, the, cor- the cross is such a bloody thing, such a horrible thing when you when you really realize that this is where Jesus was put to a, a really, really horrible death. You know, you don't need that. You don't need that if you just follow the way of morality and civility and all that. But that makes the cross odious. In the cross of Christ, I glory, said the Apostle Paul. And the third thing is is setting your feet on the way to death. His setting your feet on the way to death. Legality is the son of a bondwoman. Galilee is the son of a bondwoman, which is Mount Sinai. You can write a scripture reference in that, at that point. I didn't give you a blank for it, but here's your scripture reference. anybody want to take a guess where it's from? Galatians. That's it. It's from Galatians four twenty-one to twenty-seven. Galatians four twenty-one to twenty-seven. civility the son of legality is a hypocrite and cannot help you says evangelist the next the next line in your notes is this words and fire came out of the mountain and Christian's hair stood up. <laughs> That's how fearful he was. You want to see those you see those words on the screen? He was filled with fear. Evangelist said Christian had committed two evils. He had forsaken the way that is good to tread in forbidden paths. Now there's one more thing. All we need is one more sentence at the bottom of this. And I think this is is so touching, such a touching little piece here. He kissed him. Gave him one smile and bade him Godspeed. Get on the right track again, Christian, and stay on that track. But he kissed him and gave him one smile. I I just think that is so so good. We have five minutes left. All it took us was five minutes to do the sheet on wisdom. Is it possible that we could even do this sheet... This sheet was typed up so hurriedly this morning, post-shower, that I didn't even include the, all the scripture references. So we're going to finish with this sheet, maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe not. That's on the back, the law of God. There you go. Yeah. You know what? I am just going to put that aside, and rather, let's just take a look at some practical lessons here. From this, some practical lessons here from what we've seen so far. First of all, the consequences of sin are disaster. Christian is leaving the city of destruction. Second of all, the Bible is our only sure guide to salvation. There are lots of other guides out there. There are, like Mr. Worldly Wise and and. and a thousand other ways, but the Bible is our only sure guide to salvation. Third, the road to the celestial city is not an easy one. We haven't gone far on the road yet, but I wouldn't say it's been an easy trip thus far. Not for Christian, he's got some muddy stuff on his course, you know, from from that. Beware of individuals who appear to be fellow travelers with us, but will not endure to the end. Who would that be at this point? Fliable. Pliable. Pliable says, oh, I'm with you. Listen to all the good things that are ahead of us. But boy, he turns around when he faces the first difficulty. And he is just the first of what are going to be quite a number of individuals that are met along the way. Beware beware of anyone who professes much wisdom, but whose wisdom is not from above. There are not a few people like that in this world. Multitudes of them, as a matter of fact. Beware of entertaining the thought that we can in any way work ourselves our way into heaven. Work your way into heaven. Work your way into heaven by by keeping the law or whatever. One more point at the end here. Thank God for his grace and goodness to us. Thank God for his grace and goodness to us. Is there ever a day when that's not a good thing to do? Never. Never. Thank God for his grace and goodness to us. Now, Christian is not even a Christian yet. And you guys have read what up to the cross? If you haven't not read up to the cross yet, read up to the cross for next time. And, and let me just suggest this to you, and you can maybe be mindful of this when you read. A very interesting question: Where is Christian saved? Was he saved at the Wicked Gate? Or was he saved at the cross? Let me just say this to you. There are good people, very good people, and I mean orthodox, straight, you know that, who will, some say, he was saved at the Wicked Gate. Others will say, he was saved at the cross. We'll maybe bring that up next time. But we're going to start next time, and there are really two Two theological uh, focuses, oh God, I guess. Two two theological focuses that I think will be important for us as we continue on in the study. One of them, I think, is that sheet that we just didn't start to tackle and that is the law of God. Of what value is the law of God? Is it of any value? And then the second is concerning the matter of salvation. Just what is salvation? That was what is it? And we'll have to talk about that. Too. So I'm glad to be with you. Time flies uh, like in no other hour of my life. Mm-hmm. Enjoy <laughs> this hour. But thank God for what He has allowed for us to do. And uh, we'll continue our journey next week. Read up through the cross. Okay? Mm-hmm. Through the cross. Through the cross. Anybody have any closing remarks? Anybody want my head turning? Okay. What a, what a wonderful looking group you are. Well, let's let's pray together here and then we'll we'll break camp. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truths of your word that are represented by Bunyan in this this great story of Pilgrim's Progress. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to think very carefully and very clearly on the things that he is representing in this story and how these things uh, relate to our lives and the lives of our loved ones, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would go before us and lead us. Lord, we are on our journeys beyond the cross, all of us. So, Lord, help us. Prepare us, Lord, for individuals that we will meet who need to be guided in the way to the cross. And, Lord, as I close today, I pray for Jerry. It's probably highly doubtful that I will ever see him again and have contact with him. But I pray, Father, that you would open his eyes to see what took place on the cross and his need. To trust in Christ as his Savior. So we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name. Amen.